This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. This is Greg Olson, inviting you to check out my new Blue Wire podcast, TE1, where I interview tight ends throughout the history of the NFL who have helped revolutionize the position. TE1 is presented by the Chevy Silverado, The Silverado is all about grit. It's strong and dependable, exactly like playing tight end. Just like the incredible players we sit down with on the podcast, the Chevy Silverado is in a league of its own. Strong, advanced, and dependable. Download TE1 today wherever you listen to podcasts. Welcome to this week's edition of the Better Rivals Podcast. My name is Oscar Aparicio, and this week, it is a win Wednesday, even if it may not feel quite like one. The official Better Rivals position on MetLife Stadium is fuck you. And with me this week to tell us how much he'd be willing to get fined over a mask, it's David Newman. Zero dollars is the answer. <laughs> Zero. I would not be $100,000. Wild. Can you believe that? Uh, and another two fifty to the team for the team. Yeah, yeah, uh, not not cheap. I mean, I guess just maybe if s- you're you know a Jed York, it's not that bad. But whatever. Just gotta sell like another twenty five thousand of those cutouts, and you're home free. You're good to go. Man, space for him. It's been a week. I don't know that I've ever felt like I've lost something so dear to my heart, despite winning a football game. Um, you know, I, I feel like someone must have poked Trent Balky and just disturbed the force and stole ACLs league wide. Like what did the universe do to piss off Trent Balky to do this to players? Uh, it wasn't great. It was, uh, it was not a fun week overall. Like, yeah, even like, I mean, Niner, not Niners NFL wide. Like it just, um, yeah, all the injuries suck. Um, it's not fun to watch. We're going to talk about how you move forward after all these injuries and what it means for the team and and how you manufacture pressure and, and even what it means to have Nick Mullins under center. And we're going to talk all about that later. But God damn it, we're not going to do that right now because this was a good old fashioned beat down. And I want to revel in that for a second because this was a win. It was a win over a team that was bad, but it was still good to at least for one whole half of football see the Jimmy Garoppolo that we were promised. For one half, Jimmy Garoppolo was back. He displayed the things that made us fall in love with him. He was throwing darts over the middle of the field. That third and long completion to Tevin Coleman was beautiful. His eyes were good on that play. He didn't just stick on one receiver and stare him down and throw the ball. He made magic happen on the move. He was flushed on a play. It looked like it was going to be simulated pressure. Scrambles to his right, hits a throw that was so good it targeted two receivers at once. And Brandon and Brandon Ayuk came up with the reception. 
This is something he did incredibly well in 2017 is work outside of structure, not just within structure. I mean, this was uh, the, this was the Jimmy we were promised and for one half of football uh, and on 50% of his ankles, we saw it and I loved it and I was there for it. And you cannot take it away from me much like you've stolen ligaments from me. Wow. Wow, I don't even know where I go from here. Uh, I'm into it, David. I'm here to celebrate the win. You are you are far more into it than I am, I think. Uh, <laughs> look, I, I think from Jimmy's perspective, um, it was nice to see his accuracy back. I think that was the number one thing for me. Um, his accuracy basically to all levels of the field improved, and um, it was mainly the increase. I mean, there was it was twofold, right? So there, there was an increase in the number of throws that were just actually on target and, and had good ball location to them. Um, but also his misses were less severe. So we talked about last week, how, um, one of the, the big problems with his week one game was that there were so many throws that weren't even catchable, right? He was just missing, um, and not giving the receiver a chance to get it. And in this game, when he did miss from a ball location perspective, it was less severe. So it may not have been like the ideal location, but it was still in a catchable spot that gave his receiver a chance to at least make the catch and, and produce a positive play for the offense. Right. So, um, both of those things, uh, lead to a, a significantly better game. And I think, um, honestly, like, I mean, it was it, part of it's the jets, right? Which I guess we get to in a second, but I did actually feel like he played better once that ankle got hurt. Um, I, I feel like, so one of the things that the gripes that we've had about him sometimes in some of his bad games is that there's, there's these moments where he seems unwilling to kind of like pull the trigger and let it go right there. There's a guy that he's looking at within his first look that breaks open. And for some reason he just doesn't like it and holds on to it and goes elsewhere. And a lot of times, um, you know, good things don't happen on those plays. And so he, he was leaving a lot of things on the table. And I felt like once that ankle got hurt, he knew that he didn't have time to like fuck around back there. Right. Like he was really trying to protect himself. And so I think he was, um, more willing to pull the trigger and, and again, part of that getting back to the Jets defense is because he had more open looks on that first look, right? So because you're playing a, a worse defense, a worse coverage unit, guys were having a little bit easier time getting open. And so um, some of those, the, the space that he had to throw to was a little bit um, wider. You know, he wasn't thrown into a lot of tight windows or anything like that. So that it, it's easier to have more confidence letting those go when you have more space to throw to. But I think that was kind of the big thing that, that I noticed from him this week. And he had a couple of really big time throws this game, one of which was dropped. It's not going to show up on the stat sheet, but that throw down the sideline to Kendrick Bourne, that was that was Bourne. one of his best throws of the year, and, and Kendrick Bourne did not catch the football. Honestly, uh, one of the best throws of his career. Like, he doesn't have a lot of throws that are that far downfield to begin with, right? That are that accurate. Um, and yeah, especially that are like that on the money. Um, I mean, to a, a guy, I mean, look, I guess in Bourne's defense, there's there's a defender that's like right there in tight coverage on him. Um, but man just drops that over the top and like takes a shot right after he lets it go to like, that was a, a beautiful throw. Yeah, it was great. And, and honestly, the, the throw beats the coverage there because the defender is not in a terrible spot. He does stutter a little bit when, when Bourne kind of stutters near the, the top of the route before he starts to break. But, but that throw beat the coverage and it beat the coverage 20 yards downfield or 25 yards downfield or whatever the hell it was. It, it was a beautiful throw it doesn't go on the stat sheet, but it definitely is something that you look at that and you're like, yes, this was the Jimmy that I was promised. And you look at where his his targets were. They were more to the sideline in this game than they were, I think, against the Cardinals. His his attempts were, he had 13 attempts 
beyond the line of scrimmage. Eight of them were outside the numbers. That's not usually where Jimmy likes to play, but this is what he was doing against the Jets, and he did throw those. This was part of the problem against the Cardinals, right? I mean, you look at the fourth down play to Trent Taylor against the Cardinals. He leaves it inside. He hits a very similar out route to Trent Taylor, and it's on the money. He has another one on a, on a choice route to Jordan uh, Jordan Reed. I mean, his his outside-the-numbers throws were much better this game, uh, and, and the 49ers' offense was better as a result. I will caveat that with those, like the majority, if not all of those outside the number throws, as I'm looking at his passing map here, were very short outside the number throws. They were. Um, I, I Baby mean, steps, he only David. Completed, Baby steps. He only completed two throws that went over 10 yards in the air. Um, should have completed the third, which was that one to Bourne that went 34 yards in the air. But there is this like cluster. Um, I mean, they were hitting that quick out route to the left side just repeatedly there is a cluster he went six for six on throws that were basically between three and five yards beyond the line of scrimmage to the left side right so just hitting that quick out route over and over and over again um mostly to jordan reed but also i think taylor got one or two of those as well hey man you got to start somewhere you start 10 yards over over beyond the numbers then you get to 12 yards and you get to 15 yards. Sooner or later, you're hitting 17-yard out routes like it's nobody's business. Just a live wire arm rocket that works. for an yeah, arm. Sure. Physical tools. You yeah. know, it's just like bench pressing. You just got to build up to the weight. Yeah. No problem. No yeah. problem whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Um, but part of the reason that Jimmy Garoppolo was out of the game was because, well, his ankle got squashed. Uh, and his ankle got squashed because uh, his, you know, his, his feet were not always clean. Uh, and that's a result of some uneven offensive line play. The offensive line, you know, isn't going to be a huge story in this game because, well, the Niners won and they won big. But over two games, this has been a really uneven offensive line. If you look at Quinnen Williams and his performance against the 49ers in week two, he was having one of his better games. Uh, he had his way with Tomlinson and Brunskill uh, at different times. I don't know if you're aware, David, but there's this guy in the division named Aaron Donald who is along the interior. Heard of him. And if, and if Quinn Williams is doing these kinds of things, I shudder at what's going to happen when Aaron Donald comes to Just town. imagine what Corey Peters would do. Oh, Jesus. Uh, I don't <laughs> have to. It already happened. Um, <laughs> right. So, yeah. already. Is, he still, is um, he still in Arizona? I feel like maybe he went somewhere else. I, I don't, don't know. know. I don't know. Man. All I know is that it, it's, it's, it's uneven and it's worrisome um, because I think the different, the centered guard combinations are a little worrisome. And, and I wonder if that right guard, uh, that, that unsettled position at right guard has extended over to making Mike McGlinchey a little bit unsettled because he's so far allowed seven pressures in just two games. That is 25% of the total that he gave up in 19 games last year. Or if you want to hear it another way to maybe drive the point home just a little bit further to hit the, the spike through the heart, he's currently on pace to give up 56 pressures in the regular season compared to 28 pressures that he gave up last year over 19 games. Not great for a start for my dude McGlinchey. Honestly, like those seven pressures are only part of the story in these two games. He gave up another two pressures on plays that were ultimately nullified by penalty. So don't aren't included in that total. And then has another seven plays where he was beaten 
but for whatever reason, um, because the quarterback got the ball out quickly or, or something like that, like it didn't actually lead to a pressure, but he lost his block on that play and pass protection. Um, so yeah, I mean like dude is, is getting his ass whooped on, uh, or at a rate that like we haven't seen from him. And it's just, um, it's very unsettling. Part of it is that he's going to see more premier pass rushers because teams are going to send them away from Trent Williams. They just they, they don't want to put them on that side. This is what we saw against Arizona. You're, you're not going to put Chandler Jones against Trent Williams. You're going to put him against Mike McGlinchey. And you know what? That's sometimes Mike McGlinchey is just not going to win that battle. Pass protecting is not and has not always been McGlinchey's strong suit. Even when he was drafted, we told you that he was going to come in and fit in right away in as a run blocker but he was going to have to grow into being a really good pass protector. And, and I don't know that he's grown. He's had really good games in pass protection, but he's not really grown into a consistent every down. I'm able to do my pass protection job. He's been, you know, just kind of there and he's not been a liability, which is still in the NFL at the tackle spot, a skill, but against the jets, he wasn't going up against Chandler Jones. He wasn't going up against, you know, like super premier pass rushers. Right. And he was still getting roasted. In fact, the interception that Mullins throws in part is because uh, McGlinchey's dude basically bowls him over. He oversets. He gets beat to the inside and he's just on his ass. And the guy's able to hit the hip of Mullins, which makes the ball just a tad off target, which means it gets tipped and then it gets picked off. Looks like a bad play for Mullins, but it all starts because McGlinchey's on his ass. I think that's part of like the the concerning thing with him overall is that like it's not one way that he's getting beat, right? So it's not like one thing that is just like uh, for whatever reason he's having issues with and, and you can kind of work on correcting that like one flaw or whatever over the course of practice in the season, whatever. Um, he's getting beat like basically any way that you can get beat. Like in multiple times just in this game alone, like he's getting – uh, dudes into his chest and getting bowled back to the ground, like not even just giving up movement and, and getting pushed back into the quarterback, but like guys taking him to the ground, um, which is, is like not the most frequent occurrence, um, that, that you see from an offensive lineman in pass protection there. So it's, it's that, um, he's getting, uh, I, I think he's getting caught like kind of, uh, in his punch lunging a little bit and, and getting beat inside as a result of that. Like there's just all sorts of things. There's been stunts that he's gotten beat on, like any way that you can basically fail as an offensive lineman in pass protection. Like we are seeing that from him at some point, um, through two games and it's, and it's bad because like, yeah, like we, we mentioned at draft time when, when he initially got picked that like, that's something you got to grow into. Like you should be grown into it by now. What is this year? Year three, right? Like this is the yeah. ninth overall pick, um, you know, that you're ha- having there. Like it shouldn't be uh, a situation where like you're clearly the inferior tackle. Like they drafted you in the top 10 to be a premier tackle. And and that comes with, um, you know, expectations as a pass protector. Like you can't just be a good run blocker, which he again, still has been like, he was a good run blocker in this game, had um, a, an incredible block on the opening play on the Moster touchdown. Like, several other ones that he's had over the course of the season. He's been really good in that facet, I think, but you like at some point have to uh, kind of get it together. And like, I, I think right now it's just been so bad. Even if you, you could live with it, I think if he was at least giving you something average above average, right? Like, okay, at least you're getting quality, competent play there. Like right now, this is the worst two game stretch. I think we've seen from him in his career. I think there are, there are two clear culprits here. One is that God awful neck roll. No one after 1986 
that has worn a neck roll has been good. You were thinking very specifically about that year. Just like, yeah, yeah well, around around 86-ish. Yeah, 86-ish, <laughs> right? Like that's that's the year I feel like that neck rolls went out of style. Legit, I tried a neck roll for one half of one practice when I played Pop Warner football and two things happened. One, it kept sliding down the shoulder pads. Uh, and when, and it was, it was awful, right? Because it's like, it's not doing its job. You're thinking it's going to stop your neck. And then when it didn't slide down the shoulder pads, it actually prevented me from moving my head, which was a problem. I did not want that. This is not good. Uh, so yeah, so I ripped that shit off and I was like, no, neck rolls are stupid. Um, uh, th- this was not in the year 1986, by the way, <laughs> I'm, I'm not that old. You son of a bitch. Uh, but yeah, I mean, ne- no, no one in the modern NFL is going to wear a neck roll and be good. Uh, the, the other, I think is that I think he's, you know, like, you know how a goldfish can die of depression because the other goldfish in the tank dies. I think Joe Staley retiring may have done something to this poor man's (laughs) psyche. I mean, it made him wear a neck roll. He's basically in a midlife crisis at this point. You know, he's been in the NFL since 1986 and he's, he's wearing the neck roll. He's depressed. He's lost his best friend. He's, he's a, he is adrift. He is aloof. He does not know what to do with himself. And this is the result. And I don't know how to fix him. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it, it all checks out when you put it that way. I mean, it, everything makes <laughs> a lot more sense now. But we did see the return of Ben Garland. Ben Garland had a fantastic block on the opening run. Uh, he is, of course, taking over for my man, Hronis, who I love his first name, Hronis. Just I, I, I can say that. It's not as good as Garrigiam, but it's, it's up there, man. Hronis is, is right up there. Uh, ben Garland had a fantastic opening block on that opening run. I mean, it was the game was basically over on play one. It, it was the play that we had in our turning point. I think that's the only time we're going to have the first play of the game in the turning point. <laughs> Maybe already. I'm just calling the shot. <laughs> uh, and and he had a, a really, really good block on that opening run. And, and he's pretty good on those zone run blocks. Um, a little and even other places, but um, it was good to have his movement skills back in the run game because I do think the team felt it. Yeah, he was he was active in the run game. There weren't uh, as many. I mean, normally over the course of a game, you have a lot of blocks that just kind of fall on the. Yeah, that was OK. Like, you know, he kind of did his job roughly. It wasn't great. wasn't bad. Like, um, you know, just kind of executing at a, at a roughly normal, even expected level. Um, he was was very up and down in this game. Like so he had a lot of great blocks. The, the one on the opening play was great. He had another one. Um, where he gets up to the second level on a reach block and seals the linebacker off. Like, um, yeah, like you mentioned, did a, did a bunch of great stuff, I think, really on the zone run specifically where, where he really shined. Um, had some issues, though, in kind of their gap scheme stuff and the power counter type plays. Um, his role on that is usually going to be what's called a back block. So it's, it's just kind of like um, he's working to the first defender um, to hit the back side of the play. So if, if, for instance, if it's a run play to the right, his backside, the backside of the play is going to be the left. So he's looking for the first defender to his left, essentially. And he's going to go block that guy in and try to seal him off. Typically for a center, it's they have a pretty easy role overall in that scheme. Um, it's, a, it's generally a pretty easy block to execute. Um, not a lot of stuff typically happens there. He got beat like a, a handful of times on that, um, which which wasn't get great. Where he's getting kind of turned completely and actually giving one of those backside defenders that you're just not planning on being involved in the play at all, like giving them a path to kind of like you know blow things up from the backside and, and kind of um, 
chased the back down from behind and like had one that led to a tackle for no gain, like had some other bad stuff happen. So, um, well, it was early. It happened yeah. early and often. Uh, one of my notes from, from early in the first quarter, about three at first and 10, both he and Brunskill got blown up trying to execute those back blocks. I mean, it was basically both those players pick and choose which one is going to get beat. And, and I think Brunskill is another player that after two games, I, I don't know how this transition to guard is really going to go for him because he's someone who played well at tackle. And we saw him for two games at guard last season. One game against Aaron Donald, which was a, a terrible game for him. Sure. But y- you give him a pass, right? Everyone has a terrible game against Aaron Donald. And he had a good game, I think, after uh, the game against Aaron Donald. And, and, and now you've got two games of him at guard. And I, I don't know that, that it's just because an offensive lineman is good that that necessarily means that he's going to be good at any spot on the offensive line. And, and so far after two games... I, I'm not sure about Dan Brunskill at guard. I think it's a good reminder about like why some of these guys are backups for a reason, right? And and I think it becomes easy to fall in the trap of getting excited about players who like play well and kind of spot duty. Um, what are you trying to say, David? What are you trying to say? I'm trying to say that maybe we got a little too excited about Dan Brunskill. And, <laughs> and maybe the reality is he's not quite that good and and he was a backup reserve lineman for a reason right um and and so that doesn't mean that he can't be better than he has been in these two games and i i do think he probably uh is a little bit better as a tackle than he is a guard um but yeah i i think it's you know it's about those expectations right and and kind of um being on the 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 right side of thing like what you shouldn't expect him to come in and be um you know a top player right just because we saw him do well in in limited action like doing it well in spot duty is different from doing it well on a full-time basis for a long-term period but even like in tomlinson this game like okay so you've got you know backup center and, and and you've got your i'm not sure if he's good guard but the mainstay of the offensive line is Nick is Lake and Tomlinson. He's been the guy that you've never had to worry about, whether it be via availability or in skill. He is really the the recovery project for the Niners. And he he even has had an uneven kind of season. And Quentin Williams had his way with him a couple snaps as well. Um, you know, where he's just just off his feet and getting pushed back and on his ass. And it's 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 not it's not really good because I think if if you have a super optimistic view of who Jimmy Garoppolo is. I think you think he can overcome these offensive line issues, but it, it may be that Garoppolo is in that glut of quarterbacks who can have a top 10 year if everything goes his way as he did last year, but he needs things to go his way in order for that to happen. And if that offensive line begins to have more holes in it, then that's the number one place where things aren't going his way. And, and that could be a very bad indicator for Garoppolo's season when he comes back and he's able to play on two angles. Um, you know, that, that is a bit more of a concern as you look at the prospects of the offense overall. In a year that we think the offense is going to have to shoulder more of the load because the defense is going to not necessarily have as many shutdown games as they previously did. I mean, I think for me, Brunskill, or, or sorry, no, I got it, got Brunskill on, on the brain. Tomlinson is... Uh, is less of a concern. Like, I, I think, yeah, he had a, a few plays in this game, but overall, like, was still, I believe, the highest graded offensive lineman for the 49ers in, in this contest. Like, I think overall, he's he's been 
what we've come to expect, which is not like necessarily an elite guard or anything like that. Like, I don't think you're, you're giving all pro votes to, to this guy, but he's like a good, um, like you said, reclamation project. Like he's really become a good player, like much better than he was um, at, at previous spots there. And I think um, with what he's done through these two games, like I, I think he's fine. I'm not worried about him long term. Yeah, but I think ultimately the, the Jets are bad. Yeah. And that's the story of the game. You, you've got Nick Mullins who comes in and he's still able to lead the 49ers to victory, even though he himself proved that he's, you know what, he's a backup quarterback. He's a backup quarterback who came in, didn't necessarily light the world on fire, a little hesitant to start out, double clutching the ball, missed a wide open Brandon Ayuk, uh, trying to throw those deep corner outs to Trent Taylor and hanging the ball inside. Um, it looks like Noodle Arm Mullins didn't hit that weight room in, in the year and some change that he's had to strengthen his upper body. Uh, and, and yeah, I mean, it's, it's, th- this was an inauspicious start for Nick Mullins, but hopefully he knows he's starting. He can adjust his game preparation with the crowd noise in his headphones and just play the silent track. Maybe we should send him the happy song and, and have him listen to that while he's prepping for games because it makes, it makes, you know, it is scientifically proven. My, even not my daughter now is now turned around to yep. the happy song. She is no longer beakering this song. She loves it. She's into it. Yep. I can whistle it to her. We talk about submarines and we down the slide and it's, it's great. Oh dear God. Uh, yeah. Nick Mullins. Um, I mean, look, dude opened the wrong way on a bootleg. Um, like I still think the rest of the team in its entirety was wrong. Yeah. I mean, all other 10 players on the field, definitely <laughs> doing the wrong thing uh, at once. Definitely not the one guy that looks like what the fuck just happened. Um, yeah. So I, I mean, there's like things like, he's just not good. Like, you know, I mean, I think that's just all it really comes down to. Like, um, you know, there was, there was the, the play that he fumbled where he's getting like, don't get me wrong. He's getting pressure in his face, um, you know, pretty quickly and, and early on in that play. But he just like, sits there like he doesn't do anything like he just kind of retreats and lets it come and and just engulf him um and then he drops the football once it happens and and it's just like um he really is going to be somebody that needs like this is where i think you look back at the offensive line conversation that we just had and if they continue their track which i think right now they they're through two games um they're giving up the their 25th in pressure rate allowed so they they are near um you know the bottom quarter of the league there uh and it, it's just like not a situation where Nick Mullins is going to thrive if that continues. Like he is going to be somebody that needs clean pockets. He needs receivers who are open and getting separation. And then if you give him some of those throws in the middle of the field, he's going to connect on enough of them. Like we, we've seen it, right? Like we, we saw that exact formula happen for him for, for a little bit the last time that we saw him in action. So, um, you know, I think that has to be the formula, but I don't know that the, this 49ers team right now and, and as banged up as they are, um, are in position to be able to give him that same sort of environment. You know, what helps Nick Mullins running the ball on third and 31 on an outside zone and picking up the first down. That was, that was an absurd play. In- incredible. It was stupid. I mean, this is a play where Ben Garland talking about his, you know, kind of up and down game in in the run game and, and overall in the game. This was one of his ups. He had a really good reach block and and McKinnon basically does the rest. And, and McKinnon is he's back, man, as as back as he's going to be, I think. Uh, and and it's good because now the Niners have some issues at running back. So I'm glad to see that his knee is finally healed at the end of that run, too. 
Notice that he didn't he didn't run out of bounds. He like tried to give a shot to that last defender and he got an extra like half yard. Um I, you know, I, he's not somebody who should be looking to give an extra shot I'm, to a defender. I for a moment my my heart was like, "Oh no, Jimmy." Like just the reaction of someone cutting back inside when they're near the sideline with a knee issue. I just I was like, I you know, I had lots of feels in the chest. Uh but you know, I'm glad he's back. I'm glad he's healthy and he's probably going to have a starting role in in next week's game against the Giants. So that wraps Hold on. up. One Jarek McKinnon note. I gotta gotta throw this out here. Um, like, me. look, he hasn't played. Obviously, many, it's been a limited role, which which is what we said. Um, but my guy has like made the most of those opportunities. He is currently the second highest graded running back, just narrowly ahead of Raheem Mostert right now through two weeks. And it's two weeks again. We're we're talking all small sample size stuff. Like, um, you know, the, a million caveats to basically any piece of data at this point in the, the season. But like. He is he is making largely the most of those chances, and I think now we're going to see him in a situation where he has a lot more chances. I love it. it. It took two years for the shot that we called two years ago in free agency to come to fruition, but here <laughs> here we are, two years later. It'll it'll happen. Don't worry. We're going to get to the quick hits, and then we'll talk about where we go from here. We'll get to the injuries that I promised we would talk about and what it means for the team and all that bad stuff. But before we do that. Let's take just a brief moment to hear from our sponsors. First up is Visa. Visa knows that local businesses are the heartbeat of our communities. Whether they're our corner stores, our coffee shops, or our favorite shops, local businesses have always been there for us. They remember our orders. They call us by name. Always giving back, making a difference, and going that extra mile to support us and our community. And right now, more than ever, local businesses need our support. So now it's time for us to return the favor. The next time you go shopping, make the choice to shop at a local business and look for the contactless symbol and tap to pay with a contactless visa to help support your community because where and how you shop matters. Visa, everywhere you want to be, official partner of the NFL. And we also have Indeed. Even though sports had a break, your business didn't. You have to keep moving and that makes hiring more important than ever. Indeed is here to help. I can't help but think actually about the businesses that, I mean, actually broke and didn't con- continue, but whatever. Uh, Indeed.com is the number one job site in the world because Indeed gets you the best people fast. Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. You only pay what you need. You can pause your account at any time and there are no long-term contracts. Plus, Indeed provides powerful tools to make your search that much easier, like sponsored jobs which are shown to be three and a half times more likely to result in a hire. With 73% of online job seekers visiting Indeed each month, Indeed is going to get you the important hire that you need, just like they have for over 3 million businesses. Right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates will see it fast. Try Indeed out with a free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. This is their best offer available anywhere. Don't try to use Wikibuy. Don't look under a rock. You're not going to get promo codes. This is the one you want to use. Blue Wire. Go right now to indeed.com slash blue wire. Terms and conditions apply that you won't read. Offer valid through September 30th. All right, let's get to the quick hits. First up, Robert Sala. Definitely trying to mix things up. You look at his uh, percentage of cover four plays in week one. Like over 60%. 
That's a split safety look. And then you look at his single high percentage in week two. 60% single high safety, middle of the field. They go back to the thing they know and love. Definitely game-dependent script, but he's trying to not be as predictable in his coverages. Yeah, I mean, a, a lot of things that he showed in this game that I like, I don't really remember seeing from them at any point. Like They really are getting... Uh, I think more exotic with their coverages, right? They're doing a lot of things, not only in their blitz packages um, that, I, that I think are interesting. They're running a lot more uh, what I'll call like combination coverages where essentially they're playing, you know, man to one side of the field zone to the other side of the field. So just doing a lot of different things um, that I don't think we've really seen from this defense under Sala previously. One thing that is not changing though, uh, or rather on the predictability front, one thing that is going to be, predictable or has been over the last two weeks is that they've blitzed on third down to a high degree. And that continued against the jets. They blitzed on eight of 12 third downs against the blitz at 66% over the last two weeks. They are third in the NFL on third down blitz rate at 57.7%. I think David, you said the, uh, the Ravens were first at like the Ravens are blitzing 84% of the time on third down. It's fucking <laughs> wild. Yeah. Love it. All right, let's talk a little bit about running backs because I know that makes David happy. Uh, and we're especially going to talk about the yards per carry for Tevin Coleman because one of these things is not like the other. So, David, can you give me the yards per carry of, uh, let's say, Mostert, McKinnon, and Coleman? Uh, so this is fun. Reem Mostert, 11.5 yards per carry, 8 for 92. Jarek McKinnon, 25.7 yards per carry, 3 for 77. Evan Coleman, 0.9 yards per carry, 14 (laughs) for 12 yards. And that included a six-yard run. So that means 13 of his carries went for six yards. Hey, man. Yikes. He he is softening up that defense, David. Softening it up. He's right there with Nick Mullins, who took two kneel downs for negative two yards. (laughs) Like, that's the closest... Uh, he is to another 49ers ball carrier. <laughs> I love it. Absolutely love it. Uh, another quick hit here. Adam Gase. There, there, there's a win probability chart from Lee Sharp, which is phenomenal because it shows individual events and what they do to your or your opponent's win probability. By kicking that field goal in the, in the third or fourth quarter, I forget exactly where, Adam Gase increased the 49ers win probability by 1%. That's how bad of a decision that was. Is Kicking the field goal actually made it more likely that the Niners were going to win the game because the Jets didn't score a touchdown. I oh, mean, you got to take those points. You, you don't want to go full that. Adam Gase. Never go full Adam Gase. Don't do it. Contavia <laughs> Street, don't know that my dude belongs on the edge. Can we please get someone in? I think I would, have, uh, I would have thrown that period. It does not belong. Yeah. Just... All full, right, let's talk, let's wax philosophical about the best defensive player now that Sherman and Bosa are gone at least for the next couple weeks in Bosa for the season. That player is Fred Warner. David, tell me why. Honestly, I'm going to I'm going to take it one step further. I think he's better than Richard Sherman is right now. He's at least been better than Richard Sherman. I mean, we got one game of Sherman. He was better in that game. Um but I I think just like with where Sherman's probably at right now, uh and the amazing things and I'm like, yeah, I, I would look at that much more as uh, indicative of how good Warner has been than like a shot at Sherman, 
right? Like, I, I think Sherman wasn't great in week one, but whatever. Like, Fred Warner has been, I think, amazing through two games. Like, um, when you look at him, especially from a coverage standpoint, I feel like, like, he is uh, maybe the only player on this defense that I feel like is just consistently every single down in the right place doing the right thing within this defense. Like, he's always finding, like, rarely do you see him just, like, dropping to an area missing the receiver he's supposed to pick up just kind of like covering empty grass like he is always finding receivers getting into throwing lanes like making life difficult for quarterbacks in the middle right if they're going to throw his direction like he's always there he's always going to be involved in any sort of throw to the receiver that he's covering because of how close he stays to him so I just think yeah he's been fantastic and we haven't seen like one of the things that I think has held him back a little bit in previous seasons is that he had some mental lapses at times where he would just have some busted assignments and um, you know have some some spots where he just kind of looked out of place and, and was completely in the wrong spot. It wasn't often, but but those were, you know, plays that would come up periodically that I think held him back a little bit. And so far he has completely eliminate, eliminated those. Maybe we'll do a, a spotlight player video on good old Fred Warner this next week. We did one on, on Akella Witherspoon and that's our next quick hit. Um, we'll give you the, the brief trailer of that Patreon video. Akella Witherspoon, uh, not great, Bob. Dante Pettis, another player that uh, was, you know, there was like, is, does Jimmy not trust him? What's going on? All I'm saying is my dude played 10 snaps. Mohamed Sanu, the guy the Niners just signed like two days ago, 13 snaps. Uh, I don't think it's just Jimmy that doesn't trust Dante Pettis. Sanu uh, knows the offense. It's fine. Like he was expecting to step right in. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Because Dante Pettis, he doesn't know the offense after being <laughs> in it for two years. Uh, Charlie Warner, not a great start, my dude. Bad, his his strength supposedly run blocking, bad run blocking throughout the game on his limited play in week two. On in week one, he got blown up on that fourth and one from the goal line from the one in week one. Early returns, maybe he is not the one. Um, don't draft blocking tight ends and or fullbacks. I'm yeah. just saying, there's still there's still more time to go for Charlie Warner. Sure. Uh, he, I know he's got to overcome the indignity of having a name like Warner, but he can if he can overcome that last name, he can do anything. All right. Where do we go from here, David? Where do we go from here? Rather than spending a, a bunch of time previewing the Giants, I think it probably makes a bit more sense to talk about what the Niners can do moving forward with the injuries that they've got so far. I, I think it, it's definitely heartening to hear that Jimmy Garoppolo, because that's, I think, where you have to start and end. But it's heartening to hear that Jimmy Garoppolo's injury is is not as severe of a high ankle sprain as as you could get. But I mean, Christian McCaffrey, it, it was it's definitely a four to six week time frame. High ankle sprain is the worst type of ankle sprain, and and it was pretty clear that he wasn't going to play against the Giants. But if he misses an extended period of time, I think that's one thing. Hopefully, he can come back soon. But your best pass rusher, Nick Bosa, gone for the year. Solomon Thomas is certainly not you know the third overall pick good. But he is a rotational piece that reduces the depth on the defensive line. You've got, you know, running backs that are going to be missing weeks because of sprained knees. Uh, the, the team, you've got Rich Sherman, who's on IR, of course, that was new coming in, or that was already happening coming into the game. This is a team that's going to have to rally around having to overcome these things. And I think the thing that may be the most concerning is that this is the team that's built upon prowess along the defensive line. And now they're trying to fill that gap with players off the street. 
So let, let's start there. How do you manufacture pressure when you are having to throw replacement level players at your opposing team? So at that point, scheme really needs to take over, right? So this is is where Robert Sala needs to kind of, I think, make his, his mark. And, um, you know, we talked, I think, a lot more about what they... Um, have done from a coverage standpoint. And, and that's always kind of been, I think, a, a big focus for us when talking about how well he's doing or not doing. Um, but I, I think what they do from a blitz perspective, from a stunt perspective, these are the ways um, that you need to look to generate pressure, right? You need to schematically basically confuse the protection scheme so that you can get guys free rushes or, or at least easier paths, right? Where they're not, you know, having to just take on a blocker one-on-one and and win that situation because that's not going to be um, a situation where they have many guys now that can win those. I mean, there there were points last game um, where they were basically rushing. Um, I mean, to what to me is like four interior defenders. Really, it's like three in Eric Armstead, right? Which um, Eric Armstead definitely not your typical like edge type player, right? Not, the, not when when you think of a player that spends all of his time on the edge, like. Uh, Eric Armstead's not the the prototype that comes to mind for that, right? So you, I'm have, pretty sure, I'm pretty sure that Eric Armstead, all of his sacks from last year were from the interior. Yeah, I mean, maybe, yeah, I, I don't know. like he he's been like, I mean, uh, he's been good this year. Um, unlike, yeah, you know, what what I'll say, like Jimmy Ward, um, and and his extension, right? Like he's at least playing well. Um, and, and so I think that's fine, but it, it's a different story when now you become the focal point right so if, if you're going to line him up on the edge slide your protection that way you know as, as often as you can um so that he has to deal with like multiple guys so what you need to do defensively right is is do things like not only bring an extra rusher and, and send blitzes but you have to i think go hard on stunts right you have to it just it, it's when you're throwing stunts at offensive lines uh, a high percentage of the time it's really difficult for them to handle. Stunts are just a difficult thing to deal with consistently as an offensive line. Like it just requires so much to go right for you to get everything exchanged, for you to communicate everything properly. Um, it, it really puts them in difficult situations. So I think that is something that they really need to lean on going forward, you know, while they are, are missing really some of their best pass rushers. Yeah, I mean, D Ford, I, I even forgot to mention him. I'm so yep. uh, unaccustomed to including him <laughs> in the team that I forgot to include him in the team. <laughs> uh, but he now has a neck issue that's turned into a back issue, and that's never good. I don't feel like neck issues that move into back issues are, are a good thing for, for a pass rusher. At this point, it feels like the, the pass rush has no juice because Eric Armstead is a good pass rusher, but he's not someone who's going to necessarily scream around the edge. He's not someone who's going to win with speed. He's, he's going to overpower players, and that's why he gets a lot of his pressures from the inside. And so now you bring in someone like Ezekiel Ansah. Ezekiel Ansah signed with the 49ers, stole Ronnie Blair's number, by the way. Uh, even Ronnie Blair was unsure as to why. Uh, that, that was an interesting Twitter exchange. I really do hope that Ronald Blair learned a little bit from Trent Taylor on how to make some money off that number hustle, because that's, 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 that's the move right there. But Ezekiel Ansah, he's not someone that we've been a huge fan of in the past. When he was a free agent, we basically said, no, don't do it, right? And, and I, part of that was because he was a, a, a top 10 pick that didn't really live up to that um, top 10 billing. And he was looking to get paid at that level. And if you were to pay someone at that level, 
that didn't and couldn't perform at that level, you would see, you know, an upside down contract that didn't get you any value. Now he's basically a one year rental and his price has dropped considerably. Is he someone that the Niners can expect some level of production from, especially considering his history with Chris Kosurik? I, I mean, I, this is one where I would definitely um, temper my expectations, right? So I, I think, like, one, they, they need bodies, right? So, it, like, um, just purely because of the guys you've lost, like, you need players to fill those snaps up, right? So you needed somebody on the edge. Um, and I think, like you mentioned, this is a, a, a much different scenario from a contract perspective than the last time that we were talking about potentially signing Zagiansa. Um, And this is a, a much better situation for the 49ers to do it, right? It, it absolutely makes sense to add him at this point. Um, and, and so, yeah, I think like the move itself is fine. But he is, I, I think, a much bigger name because of that previous draft status than anything that I would expect him to produce even reuniting with his defensive line coach, right, from from Detroit. Um, he just hasn't been a guy that has consistently been able to win, even at his best seasons, right, like wasn't winning at a high level. The thing that I think made him stick out a little bit and, and got people believing that he's a little bit better than he actually is is for, for a few seasons there early in his career, he had an unusually high conversion rate when we're talking about how often he converts pressures into sacks. So he was putting up big sack numbers um, in large part due to things that were outside of his control, right? So things like um, cleanup sacks, which is going to be a situation where like, say the quarterback um, isn't really being pressured in the pocket or maybe gets pressured from somebody else and has to try to leave the pocket and he leaves it and he runs right into Zigianza, who like hadn't won his block up to that point, but now it just has the quarterback kind of fall into his lap and he's able to make a tackle, right? So situations like that um, that boost your sack total and also like just there, there really aren't players that can convert that high rate of pressure to sacks consistently over the long term right so we like like i think vic beasley is another like classic example of this where his one huge sack season was an example of that where he had a lot of things that that kind of were a little bit more on the luck side that led to him getting a ton of sacks and people started thinking that he was a better player than he actually was because his pressure rate really wasn't that good and that's what we've seen from ziggy Ansa throughout his entire career and now he's 31 and like he's not the same athlete that he was early in his career um he was really pretty bad in seattle um last season so i, I just don't know this is gonna... worst his worst year was in seattle last yeah. year i mean if you look at his pressure rate and and this isn't even his sack rate just the number of plays number of pass rush snaps and number of pass number of times he pressured the quarterback it was eight percent that is not a that's not a rate that you would expect of someone who, you know, when you think of that name, you know, Ziggy Ansah that you would get. You're talking replacement level pass rusher at that point. You're talking, you know, Cassius Marsh. Demontre Moore had a higher pressure rate than, than that. And like, that's, that's the type of player you're looking at. And, and, and so even though Ziggy Ansah comes in with a big name, I think the production of Ziggy Ansah it is more like a Cassius Marsh. It's more like a player who is available at this point in time in the year I mean, overall, his contract is just $3 million. That, that's, a, that's a very palatable number, I think, all things considered. And so you, you have to think of him not in terms of the name, but in terms of the dollars. Three, he's a $3 million pass rusher. Yep. Yep, exactly. Um, and that eight, like just for, for, for some added context, like on the 8%, like usually for a good edge rusher, 
like a, a like a, just a solid edge rush. Like you're looking around 15. percent You know, once you get to some of like the top guys in a given season, you're going 20 plus percent. Um, so you know, eight percent is is down there. Like that is a low number. Rehabilitated Al, uh, rehabilitated Alden Smith for two million or Ziggy Onset for three million. Ooh, yikes! I mean, purely... that, that's what that's what their contract numbers are. Alden Smith's on two two million dollar yeah. deal. I mean, I would probably go Alden Smith. Yeah, Though, I, I mean, do. obviously, like all the other things, like make it a a, a a tad more complicated than that. But um, yeah, purely player perspective. Um, yeah, I would go Alden Smith. Yeah, I would absolutely do that as well. So I think when when you're talking about the pass rush, you this is where Robert Saul is going to start making his money. You've got to scheme up more pressure. You've got to talk about stunts. You're going to talk about probably some more blitzes. You're not going to necessarily win with your front four uh, unless you're going up against a team like the Giants, which we'll get to in a minute. But uh, I think when you look at the running back injuries, which is another area that you know, if Mostert and Coleman are both going to be injured going into the Giants game, sprained knees, not great. But I think bring me all the un- undrafted free agent running backs. Jamichael Hasty has already been protected, which means he's likely going to get elevated for a week. A reminder that because of all of the weird practice uh, squad rules this year, you get to protect a certain number of players, four players every week. They can't be signed to another team's active roster. And you can promote these players for two weeks and they never have to be exposed to waivers. So that means that someone like Michael Hasty can come in, get some snaps, get a couple passes and lift all of our hearts. An undrafted free agent on the 49ers, you know exactly what that means. It's time to get on the train, David. We're talking choo-choo all the way, my friend. It's time. Let's do it. Another undrafted free agent. Hype train coming right for you. This is definitely the one area that I'm like not concerned about at all. Yeah. Right. Like, either. yeah. Uh, well, the plus, plus you've got McKinnon. I mean, you've got McKinnon, you got McKinnon. Yep. and you've got uh, Jeff Wilson who yep. in spot play, you know, has been good. You know, it's, it's the, the running back position is more about a function of the offensive line than it is about the running back. Yeah. And, and that means that, you know, as long as Ben Garland keeps dominating zone blocking, you're going to be fine. Yeah, I, I think it's really going to be um, that last point there, like how well the offensive line is able to do if they can keep. I mean, I think they've been solid so far, at least in the run game. Um, definitely better in the run game so far than in pass protection. And if they can continue that up, like, um, and, you know, they have some plays where just like everything is excellent and, and just looks beautiful and, and they block it up really well. So, um, is yeah, as long as you have plays like that um it really doesn't matter who you have back there like you're going to produce some bigger plays offensively in the run game and lastly i think the biggest point is that the schedule is as favorable as you can get before it isn't (laughs) the next couple of weeks you've got the you've got the giants the eagles and the dolphins that's three games that are winnable even with backups i mean this was a blowout win for the 49ers and they lost Bosa, they lost Thomas, they didn't have their starting quarterback for a half, they didn't have their starting corner for the entire game, they didn't have D Ford for the entire game. This, this roster, despite all of the, the stuff that we're talking about, is still a talented roster. And now you're going up against an Eagles team that is self-destructing. Carson Wentz is, you know, his coach is talking about how he, someone asked, you know, can you talk about Carson Wentz regression? Why is he regressing? And Doug Peterson's response was, that's a good question. Basically <laughs> granting the premise of the quarterback regressing. Not a good look. I they, mean, that's like... 
they are dead last in EPA per play right now. Like yeah. offensively, it is a disaster right now. It's not good. You've got yeah. the Dolphins who are still in the middle of full tank. Uh, and, and then you've got the Giants who are similarly like the Jets, not good. And the only good thing about the Giants was probably Saquon Barkley. Generational and Saquon, Yeah, and Saquon Barkley, his knee went the way of, you know, all the rubber bands that snapped collectively in the NFL this last week. So, you know, even with all the injuries, the Niners are still favored by four points. They're favored by more than a field goal. Um, that, that's how bad the Giants are and, and I think how good the Niners are. It's not until you get past those three teams that you get to the Rams. And, and that's where things start to get dicey. And hopefully, Jimmy Garoppolo is back by then. Um, but, I mean, we in our season preview, we thought the Rams were going to finish fourth in the division. Because we thought they just, there, wouldn't just, there wouldn't be enough money to be good. Um, are the Rams good? I don't know. It's, it's, it's early. Um, but I think, like, even with that outlook, right, even finishing worst in the NFC West, like, I don't think necessarily means you're a bad team, right? I think, they, like, I asked you if we were going to send three playoff teams, we might send four. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of wild, um, you know, with, with what's happened there. But I think that stretch, um, once they get to the first Rams game, is brutal. Like, they really need not only Garoppolo back, but they need a good version of Jimmy Garoppolo back. And if they can get that, then I think the season is still salvageable, right? So um, if they can get through these three games, I mean, they really need to. It it sucks now looking back on um, that Arizona game and and kind of not being able to to, to keep that one a W um, and go two and zero here because you know you go into this three game stretch that I think um, has two games that absolutely you should win and you know the Eagles if they continue as they're they're going right now is is also a game I think you should win. Um, but after that, it gets brutal. I mean, it's Rams at the Patriots, at Seattle, Packers at home on a short week after Seattle, at New Orleans, and then at the Rams again. Um, so that stretch kind of in the middle of the season is going to be really tough. Like, it would have been really tough even if this was a team that was at full health, right? So I think that was going to be a, a rough stretch regardless. Um, now I think you're, you know, if you assume you get Jimmy Garoppolo back, I think you're you're really excited if you can go three and three in that stretch. If you can go 500 across those six games, um, you're you're really excited. But in order for that to be okay and for you to still be in a good position for the playoff race down the stretch, like you really need to go out and win these three games, these next three games here. Um, and so they have a great chance to do it, even with Nick Mullins back there. But they need Garoppolo back before that stretch. Absolutely. Yeah, and if you're looking at the Giants game, you know they've got one of their offensive weapons who's out with Saquon Barkley. You've got a, a team that is predicated on the pass rush in terms of the 49ers and the Giants who are not good at necessarily protecting Daniel Jones. And Daniel Jones is not someone who's going to necessarily make the team around him a whole hell of a lot better. This is a very winnable game for the 49ers. They are favored by 4-4 for a reason. And, you know, I know the players are a little worried about going back to MetLife, and, and that is awful. I wish that the, the turf weren't a concern. Um, but I think all, all things considered, this is a game the Niners should win. I don't know if they'll necessarily clear the point spread, but this is where I am really going to be watching Robert Sala and what he does with his, both his blitz rate and his defensive line games. Because you could go a couple different ways. You can say... Their offensive line is bad enough that I can get to them with Ziggy Ansah and a couple of other players. Or you could just say, you know what? We're going to pressure 
And the only player we've got to worry about is Golden Tate. And I feel like my matchup with Golden Tate and K1 Williams is, is relatively favorable. And there's no one else on that offense that scares me a whole hell of a lot. And, and there you go. And you can basically blitz. You go into man coverage and you make Daniel Jones beat you. I, I mean, go after Daniel Jones, like, all day. Like, yeah, I, I just think that, like, there. this is a situation where uh, I think it's really similar to the Jets last week. Like, there, there's not a ton, really, that you need to get into detail on. Like, this is just a bad football team. Like, they're, they're just not good. They're missing some of, you know, their only competent players. And it really is a game that even in the 49ers' current state where they are missing, like, a, an absurd number of of quality players right now that, that that should be in that lineup like they they still are are much better and it absolutely is a game that they should go in and win but joe judge had the nutcracker drill in training camp or a version of it and that means this team is tough this team is tough david they can withstand hitting or things that'll really carry over um really setting the tone from a culture standpoint you know i had to go in there and and really focus on culture right now that's really gotta do it yeah well that does it for this week's edition of the better rivals podcast thanks for tuning in and thanks to all of our patreon subscribers who saw the turning point video from this week where we broke down a couple plays that we thought turned the tide for the 49ers in week two they saw the spotlight video where we detailed some of killer witherspoon's play um not great play but play nonetheless and we'll have a turning point video and maybe a spotlight video every week this week for our Patreon subscribers. So head over to better or at Patreon. Let me do that again. Patreon.com forward slash better rivals. It's hot in this room. You know, we're a beer in. It's it's the <laughs> end. It's the end of the line, my friend. Uh, you can always follow me on Twitter at better rivals. David, where can they follow you? That will be at PFF underscore David. Thanks again for tuning in. And as always, go Niners. Football is finally back. You might not be at a game this year, but you can still be in on all the action at Bet Online. Bet Online is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on every possible chance to win this season. From game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props, Bet Online gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. I wonder if they're going to give you props on whether or not a coach wears a mask and gets fined. You can get in on their season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on wins, division, and championship futures. All day, every day. Head to Bet Online today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Don't forget to use promo code BLUEWIRE at betonline.ag. That's BLUEWIRE, all one word. Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts.